0: Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter number 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 4. We've been speaking about some of the greatest things in life. A few weeks ago, I spoke about life's greatest dilemma. That ought to be easy to figure out. The greatest dilemma in life is to be without Christ as your Savior. It just doesn't get any worse than that. Then we talked about life's greatest discovery, and the greatest discovery is discovering that Jesus is all you need. that Jesus is your Savior. Now today I'm going to speak about life's greatest delight. And I know as soon as I say that that it leaves room for a lot of debate because we've all got different tastes and different desires and naturally somebody say, well that might be, your greatest delight, but it's not mine. You know, for some people it might be bass fishing. Greatest delight in life. But uh, since, it's, uh, since it's close to Valentine's Day, I'll bet some of, you, some of you folks have been thinking about love, huh? You've been thinking about, you know, finding love. It's the greatest delight in life. Well, maybe you want to consider what some of these kids had to say about that. And this was a Valentine's Day thing, and some comments where the kids answered some questions. And uh, the first question was, what is falling in love like? Little Roger, nine years old, said, quote, like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. (laughs) Leo, seven years old, said, If falling in love is anything like learning to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes too long. (laughs) The next question, what role does good looks play in love? Well, Jane said, if you want to be loved by somebody who isn't already in your family, it doesn't hurt to be beautiful. (laughs) Gary, age seven, says, it isn't always just how you look. Look at me, I'm handsome like anything, and I haven't gotten anybody to marry me yet. (laughs) He didn't lack for confidence, did he? Christine, age nine, said, Beauty is skin deep, but how rich you are can last a long time. Well, then the next question was, How does a person decide whom to marry? Y'all listening? Kelly, age nine, said, You flip a nickel. And heads means you stay with him, and tails means you try the next one. (laughs) Carolyn, age eight, says, My mother says to look for a man who is kind. That's what I'll do. I'll find somebody who's kind of tall and handsome. (laughs) Okay, what do most men, what do most people do on a date? Little Martin, age 10, said, on the first date they just tell each other lies and that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. Boy, isn't that the truth? Well, life's greatest delight, what in the world could that be? Now let me set the stage. Let me ask you some questions this morning. If I said that that we ought to be... uh, Christ-like? I don't think anybody here would argue with that. We know that's what the Bible teaches. And if I ask you the question, do you want to be like Christ? I I think just about everybody here would say, yes, I, I do. I want to be like Christ. He's my example. He's the model for my life. And so I don't think anybody would just come right out and say, no, absolutely not. But if I ask you, what does it mean to be like Christ? Or, what must you do to be like Christ? We would get a wide variety of answers, would we not? Somebody said, oh, we've got to forgive. Somebody said, well, we've got to love. Somebody said, well, we've got to read our Bible. we got to pray. We, you know, we got a long list of things that we would do. But there's one thing that usually gets overlooked. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In Luke chapter 19, you don't need to turn there, but in verse number 10, Jesus says that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So if you want to know why Jesus was here on the earth, there's your answer. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now in John chapter 20 and verse 21, He says, As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So if we're going to be like Christ, we must be seeking after the lost. I'm talking about Christian people seeking to win other people. He's our example. And He gives us a lot of information concerning this matter. In His own history, in His own story, we see Him dealing with different people. And and here in John chapter 4, I don't think we find any better example of of what we ought to be doing. Notice in verse 27, there's three scenes to this drama. And in the first scene, beginning in verse 27, we see the confusion of the disciples. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her waterpot and went her away into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came unto him. And in the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, that is, asked him, requested, saying, Master, eat. And he said unto them, I have meat. To eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Now remember, these followers of Jesus were Jews. They're Jews that have been raised under the influence of a prejudiced environment. And as you learned last week, we know that there was a great deal of animosity between them and the Samaritans. And so they come back from their trip in the city, and as they get back, they find him engaged in conversation with a woman of Samaria, and they're confused because it says in verse number 9, they have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so why then was the Master engaged in this conversation? And they're wondering, but notice at this point they have refrained from making any comments. They're thinking it in their heart, and He knows what they're thinking. He knows how they feel, but they're not talking. And their silence speaks volumes to me. I I don't want to read something in this that's not there. But I, listen, if they're not sure about their attitude toward the Samaritans, why didn't they speak up? I'm not saying that they should have been trying to correct Jesus and his views. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if there's some confusion about it, why don't they speak up? Why don't they inquire and ask the Lord about this matter? And I think the answer is very easy to see, and that is because they know deep down in their heart there's something wrong with their attitude about the Samaritan people. Let me tell you something. There are a lot of things that people, especially Baptists, don't want to talk about. We, we sometimes want to pretend that we've got all of the hatred and the racism and uh, the prejudice, that we've got that all out of our system. And that's just not true. Let me tell you, it's on both sides of the issue. There are whites that hate blacks, blacks that hate white, and some people hate everybody in between. And there's so much animosity in our nation today. It's absolutely pathetic and it's unscriptural. We Christians should never feel that way, but a lot of people that would never speak up and say, well, you know, I just don't like those people. Mark it down, when you hear people talking about those people, whether it's a race issue or a, or, or, or whatever, you always know there's some kind of a problem. Those people. The emphasis on those. People that are different than me. And a lot of folks feel that way and they entertain that in their heart, but they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to deal with it. And somewhere deep down within them, if they are really saved, they know they're wrong. But listen to me. We're not just talking about racism this morning. I'm talking about all of those issues that tend to divide us. I'm talking about the issues in our heart, the attitudes that are wrong in the sight of God, and we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to deal with it. We just suppress it. We just push it down, hold it back. We don't want to deal with it. Why? Because we know that we're wrong. Now, let me tell you, folks, we never get beyond where we are until we deal with what's holding us back. Amen. And for some of you, it might not have anything to do with racism at all. It might have to do with a bad temper, an unforgiving spirit, a a dishonesty. It can be a number of different things in your life. And if you're ever going to get to the place that Christ wants you to be in life, you've got to deal with those issues. It cannot be just business as usual. This is especially true when we talk about the greatest delight in life, which for a Christian, I believe, is... Bringing others to Christ. That's the greatest delight, and we see that here. And so many times we, we, we think about, you know, our community and the difficulties of reaching other people, and for some way or another, you know, we, we just keep them at arm's length. We refuse to reach out and embrace them. I want you to listen to what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians and Paul writing to this church and these people to whom he had ministered. And no doubt many of them had been saved as a result of his ministry. And in chapter number 2 and verse number 19, Paul says, "...for what is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing?" Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Now now listen to this. For ye are our glory and joy. Wait a minute. He's talking about people. Our joy, our glory. In other words, this is what I delight in, he says. These people that had been brought to the Lord as a result of His ministry, He says, this is what I joy in. This is what I glory in. This is what thrills my heart. This is what excites me. This is what drives me. And it ought to be the same for every child of God. So here is this confusion among the disciples, but notice the comments from the Lord beginning in verse number 34. Because although they had not spoken, he knew what they were thinking, and he did three things. Now, notice, first of all, he explained the desire of his heart. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Now, remember, the attention of the disciples is focused upon physical things. They've gone into the city to buy food. Not, not anything wrong with eating, certainly. We all need to eat. That's not a sin. But it is wrong whenever we, that means more to us than other things, such as people. They've gone into the city, and no doubt they're sincere. But their priorities are wrong. And the Lord has stayed behind because He knew that He was going to have this encounter with this woman... And he says to these men, he said, My meat, that is the desire of my heart, the thing that feeds my soul, the thing that drives me, the thing that excites me, is not to do my will, but the will of the Father in heaven, you see. In other words, for Jesus, providing the spiritual needs of other people was much more important to him than gratifying the flesh. So he explains this to them. Now look at verse 35, because now he expressed the fallacy of their reasoning. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now this is clearly a rebuke. In the minds of the disciples, Samaria was an unlikely field of service. I mean, they just could not conceive how any good harvest could come out of this place. In other words, in their mind, we're wasting our time here. Let's go on to more prosperous fields. This isn't the right time. It isn't the right place. We'll just wait until another day. And Jesus says, lift up your eyes. In other words, remember where they're at. Lift up your eyes. Look around you. He says the fields are white. They're ready to harvest. Now is the time. Not tomorrow. Now, take advantage of the opportunity that you have. You know, sometimes we make the same mistake. We assume that there's a certain class of people that we can't reach. Now, please understand what I'm saying. I realize that there are times that it's very difficult to reach people of different races or different classes, it can be extremely difficult. And those of you that have been here a while know what a difficult time we've had in trying to reach folks here in the apartments for whatever reason, and there are numerous reasons, no doubt. But sometimes what we do is conclude that it's impossible, and maybe, maybe it's not impossible, in the first place, maybe we tried a time or two and then we quit and we did not persist. Do you ever think about that? Maybe the failure is not to be put on the doorstep of those unsaved people in the apartments over there, but maybe it's to be put on our doorstep. Maybe there are other things that we could have done, other approaches that we, couldn't have, we could have taken that might have enabled us to reach them. I still don't know of anybody that ever cared enough about them and said, well, I'm going to go rent me an apartment there. I'm going to live among them. I'll just live right there among them and let God use my witness to reach them. I I haven't heard of anybody doing that yet. But we use the same reasoning when we send a missionary halfway around the world. Same thing. No difference. But here's my point. Whether we ever reach them or not, listen, that's not the point. The point is that we do our dead-level best to reach people, whoever they are, wherever we are. It makes no difference. We have an obligation to do our part to bear witness to Christ, whether anybody ever responds or not. It's not about the response. It's about the responsibility that we have to go tell them about Jesus and this is what the Lord's trying to get across to them. He's not saying it would be easy. He's not saying that they would not encounter persecution. He's just saying that the field is white. It's ready now for harvest and lift up your eyes and look out there and see what could be done. Then notice in verse 36, he expounded upon the nature and the benefits of Christian service. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. And both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. Now there's a lot of stuff here that we don't have time to talk about. But here's the point of all of it. He's wanting them to understand that whether we see the result of our witness or not, we're going to be rewarded. We're going to be blessed for having done what we should have done. There's a reward for those that that witness and bring others to Christ. You'll never find a better way to spend your life than to spend your life in Christian service. The greatest contribution that you can make to this world is to win somebody to Jesus Christ. You'll never do anything more important than that. Have you asked yourself, what am I living for? What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? How am I going to spend my life? I mean, are you just satisfied with existing, I mean, just breathing air for the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years? I mean, does does that thought satisfy you? Surely you want something more out of life than just existing. And I'm telling you the most important thing you can do is to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord is dealing with them here. in these comments about their confusion, but I don't know whether you noticed or not, there's another story unfolding right in the middle of all of this. Look back to verse 28 again. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, "Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did, is not this, the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came unto him. This woman, while they're engaged in conversation, here is a woman that's gone into the same city from whence the men had just come, witnessing, concerning Jesus Christ. Now let that sink in for a while. And maybe you're wondering, well, if we're going to be studying the the Gospel of John, why are you dealing with these issues? And some of the Sunday school teachers are thinking, I wish he'd just leave this alone and not deal with it now. We're going to be teaching all that. I'm dealing with it because I'll guarantee you everybody's not going to get it just in one lesson. And it's so very important that we need to take time to think about these things. Life's greatest dilemma is being lost. Life's greatest discovery is discovering that Jesus is the answer. And life's greatest delight is telling other people, you found the answer. That's what she's doing. Here is a woman in the city Witnessing to the men. No doubt the the women perhaps would not have even listened to her because of her past. But the men listened. In other words, she's witnessing to those that would listen to those to whom she had an opportunity to witness. And that brings us to this third point, and that's the converts of the woman. Notice what happens in verse number 39. It says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that I ever did. Can one person really make a difference? That woman did. Through her testimony, many were saved. She simply reported to others what Jesus had done in her life. Notice, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. Why did they believe? What is it that brought them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? For the saying of the woman which testified. But now notice the story doesn't end there. Some of the Samaritans are now persuaded. And notice what happens after that. They're persuaded and they go out and persuade Jesus to stay there. Would you stay two days? Stay here. I tell you what: Whenever you discover who Jesus is and you trust Him as your Savior, you want to be in fellowship with Him. Would you stay here, Lord? I know you've got a lot to do: there are sick people to heal and there needs to be met. But Lord, would you please stay here? I've got my doubts about those that claim to be saved and they never want to be with God's people. They never want to spend time in the Word of God. They never want to cultivate a closer relationship with the Lord. And they said, Lord, would you stay here? And here's what I want you to see. Verse 41, because of that, many more believed, notice, because of His Word. The first converts believed because of her word. These other converts believed because of His word. Do you see what happened? This woman started a chain reaction. Those who believed her testimony listened to the Lord, brought others to the Lord, and notice, many more believed. You see, when you win someone to Jesus Christ, you never know how many thousand people might be saved as a result of it. You just never know I got an email here some time ago from a from a man way up north and and still involved in christian ministry works with with the teens not only in the church but in the community there and he he wrote to me about never forgetting that day when he had trusted Christ as his Savior and how much it meant to him. And I thought to myself, you know, just one instance of somebody that is still involved in, in, in Christian ministry, still busy serving the Lord, still trying to win other people to Christ. And I'm certainly not the best example in the world. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not setting myself up as somebody that's above you. I don't mean that. But what I mean is, folks, whenever God uses you to bring somebody else to a saving knowledge of Christ, there's no telling where it might end. Remember, this woman did what the disciples should have been doing. That's what we need to start doing. This is the most difficult thing in Christianity to get people to do. Lewis Ensminger. Was a Sunday school expert years ago. J. Frank Norris was a preacher that at one time pastored the two largest two largest churches in the world. One of them was in Fort Worth, and the other one was up north. And he, you know, supposedly pastored both of them. I don't know how that worked scripturally, but he did it. And J. Frank Norris was a was a famous preacher, and his impact can still be felt, especially in Texas. But Louis Ensminger was the brains behind the brawn. Louis Ensminger was the man that, I mean, that that motivated the man that organized and got the people out on visitation. And he made the statement, he said, that this matter of door-to-door visitation, getting out there and witnessing and telling people about Christ, he said it's the hardest work of all to get people to do. And he's absolutely right. You can get people to come to a banquet, that's well and good. You can get a few people that will come to Bible study. That's well and good. You can get people to come and play volleyball. That's well and good. You can get people to come on a work day, at least some. And that's well and good. But you can't hardly get anybody that says, I just want to go out here and witness. I just want to go tell people about Jesus. Jesus. Maybe somebody saying, well, if you had some kind of a plan. No, we don't need some kind of a plan. We just need somebody that's got a heart to do it that will go out here and tell people about Jesus. Sounds pretty simple, right? Now, I realize it's difficult. That's not an easy thing to do. I understand that. But if the church is here on this earth for the purpose of bringing other people to Christ, then there's no reason for our existence if we're not trying to do that. You see, if we're not going to make that effort, God would be perfectly justified in closing this church down or any other church. I mean, if all we're going to do is just gather together and sing songs and worship the Lord, we can do that in heaven. The one thing you can't do in heaven is tell other people about Jesus Christ. They all know Him there. But a lot of folks here don't know Him. Somebody commented uh, the other night after the banquet, and thank you for everything. It was so good, just a wonderful time. And I appreciate all of those that were involved. But somebody commented, I think it was Brother Raymond, commented about our young people. He said, these are the most wonderful young people in the world and see them here and involved, and they're so mannerly and so helpful. And, and it was, it was a great blessing to see our young people doing that. Young people learn this lesson. The Christian life is not all about singing and Bible study and stuff like that. It's about getting yourself involved in ministry. In ministry. that's what That was ministry. I, I understand it was not an evangelistic effort. I realize that. But it's ministry. It's ministering to the saints. Amen. We all need to be involved in some kind of ministry. I was thinking this last week about... Uh, nursing homes, and I can remember several years ago the first time that I ever got involved in a nursing home ministry, and uh, I look back, and whenever I went into that, I thought to myself, I'm going there for the purpose of being a blessing to these people, and that's basically all that was on my mind, but after a while, I realized that I was going there because I was the one receiving the greater blessing. And although that's been nearly 40 years ago, I can still remember some of the names of some of those residents there in that nursing home. You see, when a person really cares about doing something for God, when they really care about bringing others to Christ, it's real easy to find a way to serve the Lord. That's that's easy. You think about all of the lonely people sitting day in and day out in the nursing homes. Just that alone. Think about their needs. A lot of those folks are elderly and just a heartbeat away from eternity and not saved. A lot of them are saved and they need encouragement. I wondered this morning out of this large number, Is there anybody here that could raise their hand and say, yes, I am involved in a regular nursing home ministry? Is there anybody that could do that? Not one. Not one. We could go on to the jails and to the prisons and all kinds of different things this morning. And I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm trying to get you to see... He said, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white. They're ready to harvest. I mean, he's saying to them, This is where my heartbeat is. This is where my concern is. The spiritual needs of other people. Their mind was on eating. They said, Well, did somebody already bring him something to eat? Is he already satisfied? Already filled? And all my meat is to do the will of the Father that sent me. Is that the desire of your heart this morning? More than anything else, have you made that discovery that the greatest delight in life is being able, after you've been saved, to bring somebody else to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? For those parents that have had the privilege of being the one to lead their children to Christ, how much more wonderful does it get than that? And I know there are grandparents here that have already expressed their concern to me. They are praying that they will be the one God will use to lead their grandkids to Christ. That's the way it ought to be. Because there's no greater delight in life than that. How dare we walk through this world, whether it's in the corridors of the, of the schools, whether it's in your workplace, in the office there, or whether we walk through our neighborhood, but we walk through life and we rub shoulders with all of these different people and never open our mouth and tell them about Jesus Christ. And according to the Bible, their blood is going to be on our hands. God's going to hold you and I responsible for not having made any effort to win them to Jesus Christ. You want a real revival? Hey, that would be a real revival. And I'll guarantee you this, the church that does its best to bring others to Christ, the church that is busy witnessing for Christ, will never lack for joy, for one thing. Because when new converts are being saved, that makes a church joyful. Not only that, that church will never be divided over little petty issues. Somebody asked me the other day about, about, about something, my opinion on something, and I've got an opinion on just about everything. I've got preferences on a lot of different things. But I want to tell you, I'm not going to sit around and argue trying to win you over to my side on a lot of these issues when there are people dying and going to hell. That's the issue. And if we're all doing our best to win others to Christ and realize how important that is, we're not going to let the devil divide us over these little petty things. We'll never lack for Christian workers if we're winning others on a regular basis. We don't have to listen. Somebody says, what we need is a program for church growth. We already got a program. It's Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Go into all of the world. Amen. Preach the gospel to every creature. That's the program there. If we'll do that, we don't need to worry about church growth. If we do that, then the Lord adds to the church. Have you discovered life's greatest delight? The delight of seeing your classmate, your co-worker, your friend, your family members, seeing them come to Christ? We used to sing a song called uh, I'll I'll Be a Soul Winner for Jesus. You don't ever hear it anymore. We don't even sing about being soul winners anymore. We don't even use that phrase in our vocabulary today. seems that we have forgotten what it's all about to make that effort on a regular basis to bring others to Christ. How did you get saved? You got saved because somebody cared enough for your soul they told you about Jesus. That's how it happened. And if those people in your life are going to be saved, you need to be concerned enough to tell them about Jesus. Let me say this enough, i through. Because you're thinking, well, I'm not a preacher and I'm not eloquent and I'm not really well versed in the Bible and I don't know how to do all of this witnessing stuff you're talking about. Do you know how you got saved? Well, if you're saved, you do, right? Then you know all you need to know to get started, folks. And if you're here and you've been saved and you've never followed the Lord in baptism, that's where it begins. First of all, you've got to make a public statement to others. You see, this is a means of witnessing. That public testimony showing outwardly what has happened inwardly that you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I've got news for you. If you're not willing to follow the Lord in baptism, I've got some real doubts whether you've ever been saved or not. Baptism doesn't save you. But I'll tell you, when you've been saved, you're going to want to do what God commands you to do. And it starts with baptism and getting involved in the Lord's church and doing what you can. You say, well, preacher, I already sing in the choir. I already do this. I do that. I've got all of these responsibilities here at the church. Let me tell you, I don't care what else you do. None of those duties remove the responsibility that all of us have to tell our friends and loved ones about Jesus Christ. Now, think about it, what I said a while ago, again. Not one single person could say, yes, I'm involved in a nursing home ministry. Not one. Do you think we ought to be praying about that, that somebody would, do you? Maybe that would be a good reason this morning when we extend this invitation to come and say, Lord, here am I, send me. Or it might be that you don't drive and you can't go. Then why don't you come and pray, Lord, I can't go, but I'm going to pray that you'll raise up somebody and send them and use them to be a witness in those places while we stand together. Father, how we thank you for the example of this woman, a woman who cared enough about the people in her city that she went back immediately and began to share with them what she had discovered in the person of Jesus. And forgive me, Lord, and forgive us of the many times and many ways that we fail you in this area. The opportunities that we have during the course of the week, as we engage in conversation with people and we talk about the weather, we talk about the sports, and we talk about all of those different things, and For some reason or another, we never really talk about Jesus. Forgive us, for we ask it in His name. As we stand and lift our voice in song, if God's speaking to your heart, would you come this morning and say, I know what God wants, and I'm willing to do it while we sing. Come on.